Earlier in the week, I flew to uh, Phoenix, Arizona to attend meetings for Baseball Chapel and visit the Angels at their spring training facility. And on the return uh, flight home, we flew into some bad weather as it was the first of the week. And uh, as I bounced around uh, in my seat, I was reminded of one of my favorite stories related to flying. Stories told of a young boy who was about 10 years old who gets on a plane and is traveling for the first time without any adult companionship. He's a little bit nervous, and he locates his window seat. He keeps himself busy by watching the luggage being put onto the plane. And uh, within a few minutes, a very large, uh, kind of a scary-looking guy, in his opinion, sits next to him, virtually pinning him to his seat and up against the window. Well, not long into the flight, the big guy falls asleep, and he falls into a deep sleep. About 30 minutes passes, and the plane begins to experience some turbulence. And the boy starts feeling a little airsick, but he can't wake the big guy up because he is afraid to, and he can't find the air sickness bag that's supposed to be located in the front of the back of the seat, in the back of the front of the seat, <laughs> or in the seat. Anyway, you see what kind of problem he's having. <clears throat> and uh, he's starting to panic, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's not, feeling really, he's not feeling well, and all of a sudden, man, he hits an air pocket, and this wave of nausea comes across, and he just... He just hurls all over this guy, just all over the front of this guy, and this guy doesn't wake up. So this kid goes back to sitting in his seat, just, you know, pondering what little life he has left, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, making all kind of deals with God, and uh, sure enough, the, the guy, by this time, about 20 minutes passes, and this guy wakes up to, to the smell and to the mess, and he's looking around, he's looking down, he, he looks over at the little guy, and the little guy looks at him, and he thinks, and he says, Mister, are you feeling better now? <laughs> Quick thinker. But the point is, you know, often in life, um, things aren't always as they appear, nor are they always as others may lead us to believe. And that certainly has been true as we've been examining the biblical portrait of the church and comparing it to the ideas and opinions of men. You know, in our last two messages, we learned, according to Scripture, that the primary purpose of the church and of all God's people is to glorify God in all of our thoughts and our words and our deeds and everything that we do to give Him glory and honor Him. And that the proper priority of the church is to encourage the spiritual growth of all believers. Ephesians 4 says the church is gifted with those who will equip the saints for the work of ministry. That, you know, we're saved to serve our God and to get off the bench and to get into the game. And that's why we have team ministries here at Kindred Community Church for the purpose of being able to have those teams to, to be utilized by God, individuals collectively to do the things that God would have us to do. And today we're going to focus on what I will call the perpetual pursuit of the church. If you've got your bulletins again, you'll find that there's a place to take notes for those who are inclined to do so. And the perpetual pursuit of the church and as I was on the plane and studying for a Bible study that I was going to do when I got to Arizona, I was, I was encouraged, I was challenged by a passage that I was studying, and it relates to the question I'd like to ask this morning, and that's this. You know, how are we recognized as true followers of Jesus Christ? How are you and I recognized as true followers of Jesus Christ? You know, by the crosses that we wear in our jewelry, you know, by the fish symbols on our car that we place on our cars, windows or bumpers, you know, by the WWJD bracelets that some would wear, 
by, you know, what version of the Bible that we study, by the clothes that we wear or don't wear. I mean, the bottom line is that how does the world recognize us as true followers of Jesus Christ? And in John chapter 13, a passage that I was preparing uh, as I was on the plane, I came across John chapter 13, and it was very convicting to me to recognize that there is one irresistible attribute. There's one irresistible truth that should make us stand out in the world in which we live. In John chapter 13, Jesus said this. In verse 34 and 35. He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. And I thought about that. You could wear all the jewelry that you want. You can put whatever sticker that you want on your car. Uh, you can claim to be anything that you want to claim to be. But you know what? 1 Corinthians 7, 13 says that without love, that really it's nothing. You know, anything minus love equals nothing in God's mathematics. And as we look at this, no matter what denomination we belong to, no matter what kind of icons that we attach to ourselves or our possessions, no matter what we look like, there exists only one defining attribute of a true disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is love for one another. To love one another, even as Jesus Christ has loved us. But you know, but God intended his love to be poured out not only through believers, but also through his church. Because his church is but a collection of his people. You know, as Sherwood Witt writes in his book, Afterglow, he said, I have learned there is no point in talking about strong churches and weak churches. Such categories are unrealistic and beside the point. There are only loving churches and unloving churches. 1 Corinthians 14.1 commands us to pursue love, to continually, perpetually pursue love. I have had the unfortunate experience of having been to churches where the members must have been baptized in vinegar. I mean, there's no other explanation for it. That the members are baptized in vinegar, vinegar and, and there's been, you know, and, and frowns and scowls all around. Who needs that? I, I don't need that. You don't need that. That's the world that we live in. All you've got to do is look around and, and note, you know, the faces of those sitting in traffic on the freeway or waiting in line at the DMV or the bank or the supermarket or the building department. I mean, all you've got to do is just look around. The only line where folks wait patiently with smiles on their face is at In-N-Out Burger. Last week, I promoted PCH, a little hot dog stand on Chapman. You know, we're trying to generate sponsors. You never know who's going to come through for a building program someday. And, uh, and our grandson, Luke, had a baseball game. We went there afterwards, and there's this long line up the street, and there was no other explanation for it. And so we saw a couple who were here. that were, They weren't here, but their parents were here and said that, you know what? The pastor talked about this place, and so we're, we came to get a hot dog. I tried to work him for a free dog. It didn't, didn't turn out. But, the, oh, you'll notice, for those who have small children that are here, we have a cry room. It's right out there. It's awesome. This is the biggest cry room that any church will ever have. 
you know, and we'll tilt the little blinds for you can peek in and one day we'll get a speaker out there. So, but, um, so, you know, getting back to the serious things, uh, I, I praise God for the Christians that we met and the first Bible teaching churches that we visited when Linda and I first started seeking God's truth, where God's love was evident and attractive. When you walked in, you went, man, there's something going on here that I've, I don't experience every day of my life. There is a love that is evident. There is an enthusiasm in God, an enthusiasm to be there. That was never my experience growing up going to church, man. It was a necessary evil to keep one from hell. That was what we were told. I mean, you had to go. And if you didn't go, you, you, were, you were toast. And, uh, and then I thought, well, I'm here, but I'm not even paying attention. You know, I think God's sharper than that. But, you know, but I've been there and you've been there and you've been places where it's just like, man, where is the joy of the Lord? Where is that sense of awe that people were feeling as we studied Acts chapter two? My prayer, my hope is that this church will be a place like the places that we visited early as we were seeking God. That there was such a love and an attraction that, man, you know what? You wanted to come back because there was something in the lives of those people that we knew were missing in ours. Didn't know what it was until later on. But you know what? Jesus living within us, the love of God poured out in us through his Holy Spirit, Romans 5, which we'll see here in a minute. But just the fact that, you know what, that that we will be people who love one another in such a way that the world can't miss it. And you know what? And love isn't at the exclusion of truth. You know, we behold Jesus who is full of grace and full of truth. You know, love doesn't exclude truth. It's like the, the two sides of a coin. There's, there's grace and there's truth. There's love and there's truth. And in fact, the Bible tells us we're to speak the truth with one another in love. That we don't throw the truth out the window and call it love because that's not love at all. And so as we look at what the Bible teaches, God gives us the direction that we need. It's a lamp under our feet, shines on us where we are, and a light under our path where God wants us to go. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And it's fascinating as I read through the gospel of John and then the letters of John and then look back on this man's life and see that something drastic had to happen to this guy for him to be the man that God has used, inspired by the spirit of God to write as he does in 1 John chapter 4, six facts concerning God's love or spiritual love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, we read these words, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in fact, in verse 12, it says, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What a great passage as it demonstrates and, and, and as it defines for us and demonstrates the love of God. Number one, we're gonna look at the spiritual love is distributed by God. Notice in verses seven and eight, Spiritual love, agape love, is distributed by God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who doesn't love does not know God, for God is love. What a great statement of truth. 
And it doesn't mean that love is God and the fact that two people love each other doesn't mean their love is necessarily the love that's being described here in the Bible. And in fact, God's love is a holy love. Love does not define God, but God defines love. The Bible tells us that God is love, that God is holy, and his holiness is expressed in love. And all that God does expresses all that he is. In fact, even his judgments are measured out in love and mercy, according to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. God is love. You know, and we need to recognize and understand that much of what the world calls love today bears no resemblance or relationship to the holy, spiritual, agape love of God. In fact, our world tries to dignify sexual immorality and sin by calling it love. You know, God is love. And we need to recognize and understand that this love comes from God. There is nowhere else to get it. If any of you are in business, you know there are times in life where you can't get a product anywhere else but from certain exclusive distribution. There are certain areas. I mean, we, we know in our in a contracting business, there are certain geographic regions that, you know, well, you need to call this person because they handle that product or this is our rep for that geographic area. And you can't get the product anywhere else. And as I read this and, and, and understand what's being said here is that there is nowhere else in the world that you and I can go to get spiritual agape love, but from God. It's, it's his exclusively. He owns the exclusive rights and there's nowhere else to go. Anywhere else that we go is a cheap imitation of the real thing. And in fact, the only way that you and I can ever experience God's love, according to Verse 7 is, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves as God loves, agape, spiritual love, is what? Born of God and knows God. Do you realize there is no other way to experience that type of love but to be born again? And that's critical. Because John, writing in the Gospel of John, in chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, you know, basically his unasked question was, what does a guy got to do to see the kingdom of God? What do you got to do to get into heaven? And he said, unless one is born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking, as I read that, there is nothing more important than to know whether one is born again, because if it means you can't get to heaven unless you're born again, you better be asking yourself the question, am I born again? Because if that's the only way in, I need to make sure that I'm born again. And Jesus went on to explain what it meant to be born again. What it meant to be born by the will of God, not by the will of man. There was no way we can will ourselves into heaven. There's no way we can work ourselves into heaven. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10 says it's by grace that we're saved through faith, verses 8 and 9, and not of ourselves. It's a gift from God so that none of us would be able to boast before God. You know, in John chapter 1, it says, as many as receive him, verses 12 and 13, to as many as receive Jesus Christ. To them, God gives the privilege to be called children of God, to those who believe in his name. It's critical that you and I understand and examine ourselves to see whether we're truly born again according to God's definition, that we're born again from above. And in fact, in Titus, if you've got your Bibles, turn back to the book of Titus and look at verse at chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. First and Second Timothy and Titus, the five T's, first, second Thessalonians, first, second Timothy, Titus chapter three. <clears throat> and 
And we see very clearly a transition that takes place in the life of one who recognizes their sinfulness and responds to the finished work of Christ on the cross on their behalf. In verse 3 we read, For we ourselves once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice that the Apostle Paul identifies himself as he writes to Timothy as being one at one time in his life. He was a man filled with hate. And all one needs to do is read a little bit of the history of Saul of of Tarsus and recognize that, you know, here was a man who hated those who identified as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was on the road to Damascus where he was going to persecute Christians that Jesus Christ met him up close and personal. And he recognized that he was a man that was filled with hate, a man who was in in enmity with God, a man who was in rebellion against God, that everything God said about him was true, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he recognized it and said, there was a time in my life where I once too was filled with hate and disobedience to God. But notice what he said, there was a turning point. His turning point happened on the road to Damascus. We can read about it in Acts chapter 9. God has saved it and preserved it so that we can see clearly what it means to give yourself or or trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of one's sins. But he says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared or was made known and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, was made manifest or known so the world could see God. For if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. For he said, I am the Father and one. He says, and and he says that in his love, the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. And you know it meant something even more special to Saul of Tarsus. Because Jesus Christ appeared to him in person on the road to Damascus. He saw that the one he said was dead and buried was indeed alive as he claimed he would be. Don't be all bummed out, Jesus said. That's New Living Version, by the way. (laughs) You know, because, hey, three days from now, I'm going to rise from the dead and meet me in Galilee. And you know what? And the program continues. Uh, But his disciples were discouraged because they thought that the cross was the end of, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it was the fulfillment of everything that God had promised. And as he was raised from the dead... Three days later, he was alive. And he appeared. And he said he saved us, not on the basis of deeds or anything that we've done. You can't go to church enough. You can't give away enough money. You can't stop drinking, smoking, and chewing, and running around with girls or dogs that do. I mean, you can't do anything. There's nothing that you can do. Because we've been saved not on the basis of deeds, which we have done even in righteousness, you know, thinking that what we're doing is right. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And I need to ask a very personal question. Are you born again? Are you born again? I mean, have you recognized that what God says is true, that you're a sinner? And in need of forgiveness. Have you responded by God's grace through faith to the finished work of Christ that he died on the cross for your sins? He rose again from the dead three days later. Recognize there is nothing that you can do to earn God's favor that God did it all in Jesus Christ. God in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself. That you believe he died for your sins. That you believe he rose again for you. And that you've received him as your Lord and Savior. The person that does that, God knows our heart. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For what's with the heart that man believes resulting in righteousness, and with his lips he confesses unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. See, if you're born again, you know it. And that's exactly why when you go back to 1 John chapter 4, we can know that we love as God loves because we know God. And the word know in Scripture always indicates a personal knowledge. The Apostle Paul knew Jesus Christ personally. He met him as his Savior on the road to Damascus. I can tell you that I know Jesus Christ personally. I put my faith and trust in him. February 16, 1978. I know him personally. There's an intimate relationship that we have through faith in Christ and the Spirit of God living within us, that we now, through God's Spirit, can understand God's truth as we read through the Bible. And God illuminates these truths for us, and we begin to apply them in our life. There's a personal knowledge. John knew Jesus Christ personally. And the way that we knew it, because if any man's in Christ, old things pass away and everything becomes new. Here was a guy who went into a city one time and people did not receive them very warmly and did not receive Jesus very warmly. They were not cordial as their host, so to speak. And John looked at Jesus and said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and snuff him out? Can you imagine? There's, I mean, and this guy went from being a son of thunder to the apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wow, what a transition. What a transformation. It only happens when one is born again. You know, there were years of my life where I tried to change. I wanted to change. I didn't even like who I was. I didn't like the way I responded to people. I didn't like the way I treated my wife and my children. And I wanted to change. I didn't want to be that way. But you know what? While I was willing, the flesh was weak. I mean, there was just no way. But God and Christ reconciling the world to himself, took up residence in this body and changed me from within to where now my actions come from that. Jesus said it's out of the heart of man that precedes every action, whether good or whether bad. And as we have a heart transplant, so to speak, then we're able to live in a way that's pleasing to God. We're able to love people who before we couldn't stand to even be around. And before I move to the next point, I want to challenge you and ask you in a very serious manner. Are you truly born again? Are you in Christ or are you just here today in church? And there's a huge eternity difference between the two. If you're in Christ, you will see the kingdom of God. If you're in church, you will not. And it's very simple to come to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me. I've tried to work my way to heaven. I've tried to earn your, your somehow your respect. I've tried to do all these things, and I can't do any of it because your word clearly says it's by your grace that I'm saved through faith. And it's a gift. And I receive your gift that Jesus died for me, that he rose again from the dead. And to the best of my understanding, I want him to be my Lord and my Savior here today. Amen. See, God knows your heart. 
He knows when one is serious with God, and he will never, never despise one who comes to him. You know, anyone that came to Jesus, Jesus never turned them away. Never. He always received them. Number two, this type of love, we can recognize it in that it is delivered without requiring a response. Back to 1 John chapter 4, and you'll notice in verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, spiritual love is delivered unconditionally. See, with God's love, there's no strings attached. You know, it's always, okay, Chuck, well, what's the catch? That seems too simple. So what do you, it's too simple. The only string attached is basically this. You know what? When God offers forgiveness, the only thing that kept me from accepting his forgiveness and receiving his gift was my own personal pride. That sin of pride that said, you know what? I can get there another way. I don't have to do it your way. And God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 that he may exalt you at the proper time. What held me back from receiving God's gift of forgiveness in Christ is that I wanted to do it my way. And that's sin nature. You know, sin nature is, God, not your way be done, but mine. Not your will, but my will. And Jesus said, Father, you know what? Not my will be done, but yours. That is the only way. I know, but I believe it's justifiable, justifiable in our cynical culture, you know, to understand it's very difficult to believe that we could receive something for free. You know, I mean, I, I don't, anytime somebody calls me and says, we have a free gift for you. Like, yeah, okay, and I got one for you too. You know, it's like, right, okay, where do you want to meet? And we'll exchange them. You know, I, I just have a problem believing it. You know, we had a free gift. You know, it's like, here's, here's the last free gift that we've got. This is a free gift. Now, you, you tell me whether you think this is free or not. We went to the, to the desert to visit one of those timeshare things. <laughs> 90 minutes of torture is not my definition of something free. Here's your free gift. If you come and sit for 90 minutes while Nunzio and all the rest of the boys come in and try to close the deal... And you can live through it. You get a free gift. Uh-uh. I earned it. I deserve it. And, and I, I, I think I deserve two. You know, there's just no way. You know, but then here God comes and says, here's your free gift. And it's like, no, no, no. I, I had this happen to me at that timeshare thing down at that Marriott deal. No, I don't think so. But God's like, wait, you know what? I'm not like man. I can't lie. I can't deceive. God is truth. God is love. Here's his deal. Jesus Christ came as the aggressor, the initiator in his love towards man. He doesn't quit loving man when man doesn't respond. He keeps on loving. For years I ran from God. But the Bible tells us in Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost including you and me, and he hunts us down. I always like to tell a story of Deion Sanders when I was working in the NFL. Deion Sanders used to like to go around telling people that, you know what, I was the fastest man in the NFL, and I could not run Jesus' love. Can run the 40 and 4-2, Jesus runs it quicker. You know, as fast as I try to run from God, that's as fast as he kept up with me. And it wasn't until I finally surrendered and I turned around and I repented of my sin that Jesus was standing right there saying, 
I forgive you. Man, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. You know, remember in Titus 3, you know, it's not on the basis of works, but it's on his mercy. You know, I hear people all the time, and I always laugh when I hear this because I used to say it myself, but I go, you know what? Well, I can't go to church until I clean up my act. You know, well, good luck. That's like saying, you know, I'm not going to go to the hospital until I'm feeling better. I was like, well, then why would you go? You know, I mean, you know, that's crazy. That's ridiculous logic. It's like, man, you know what? I'm feeling good. I'm not going to the hospital. But you know what? And the reason people don't like to come to church is because they meet those people baptized in vinegar. You know, and and we we don't want people baptized in vinegar. We We want to see, you know, smiles and not phony, fake smiles, but smiles that are genuine because, you know what? We know that we're forgiven of our sins. We know that we could do nothing, that nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We know what we have to look forward to. You know, in Romans chapter 5, as we look at all these things, if you've got your Bible, turn to Romans 5, man. It's so exciting to see everything that comes with the forgiveness package. It's not a matter of just looking forward to, hey, good, oh, well, you know, I trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now I can look forward to heaven. It's like, man, you know what? We can have abundant life here on earth. It starts the moment that we ask of God's forgiveness, the moment that we're born again. Man, you know what Jesus said? I came to give you life and to give it abundantly. I never would have believed ever in my life that it would be joyful to go to church. To be joy- I mean, that there was joy in coming and being with God's people, that there's joy in coming and praising God with our songs and even in giving. It was like, man, when I was going to church because I had to, to keep out of hell and the basket came around, I always was, you know, it's like when you're at school and you don't know the answer to the test and they're asking and you're going, oh, no, time to dive under the desk. Here comes the basket. Dive. And I was like, man, you know what? Yeah. You know, and then I'd, and then I'd say, well, oh, you know what? All churches care about money. And that's one of the things that was so convicting to me about, you know what, we got a box at the back. You want to give, give from the abundance or joy, joyful giving of your heart. But you know what, it will never make you right with God. It's because we've experienced and tasted the kindness and goodness of God. And we know that without him in our life, we don't have anything anyway. And that he owns it all as it is. And all we ask for is that we keep that in mind by saying, Lord, you know what, it's a constant reminder to me that without you, I'm nothing. With you, I'm everything. I'm not in control of anything. I don't even have the ability to think or reason or make a living for my family if it wasn't for the fact you have given me the gift of life and everything that comes with the package. So, but you know what? It's so awesome to have an abundant life. In Romans 5, look at verses 1 through 11. We read this. Therefore, having been justified by works, no, by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know you have peace with God? I live my life in fear. Fear that if I died somehow or another that God, you know, that that, that he was going to judge me for my sin. And rightfully so because I deserved it. But the moment I trusted in Christ, I had peace with God. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I used to lay in bed at night after all the parties, after all the drinking, after all the other stuff had gone on and all everybody's gone away. And I used to lay in bed at night and think, man, you know what? Life is so shallow. Life is so empty and be afraid of the day that I would die. What would happen to me? But you know what? I can go to bed at night having peace in my heart 
because I know my sins were forgiven on the cross because of what Jesus did for me. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because of the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Only God's people can say, praise God for tribulation. Why? Because tribulation can't separate me from the love of God. Praise God for tribulation. Why? Because you know what? I know nothing can happen in my life that doesn't happen without God's approval for his purposes, for his glory, and for my spiritual development. There is nothing that can happen to you or me who are children of God outside of the sovereignty of God. Read the book of Job. Satan wanted to attack Job. God gave him the parameters in which he would allow it to take place. And he couldn't do anything beyond that. And the whole purpose is so that it will bring about perseverance and perseverance proven character. You know, I know from having been around athletics all my life that, you know what, the only way that you can develop muscle strength is by resistance. Is by resistance. And as you are resistant, as that resistance takes place and you do it over and over again, pretty soon you can do more than, you know, you can do more than 10 reps. You can do 15 reps. You can do three sets of 15. You can add weight to it. You can get stronger. You can see your spiritual growth. And in our spiritual life, we need to be able to equate the physical world to the spiritual and see that there is growth taking place. And there's only one way that can happen. And that is through resistance. God uses our enemy who wants to resist us and God and his program and his plan to bring about spiritual maturity in his people. Isn't that great? God uses, he overcomes evil with good. So notice and understand that perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. We have our hope. The blessed hope of every believer is the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Spiritual love. Spiritual love, as we look at this, is, is delivered without any requirement on our part. It's delivered unconditionally. Number three, spiritual love is also demonstrated by what it does. In 1 John chapter 4, you know, Jesus spoke a lot about love, but he demonstrated it as well. He didn't just say, love one another. He said, you know what, love one another as I have loved you. I gave you an example Follow the example as I have loved you. You know, because God is love, he must communicate not only in words, but also in deed. You don't realize that, you know, the Bible tells us that God loves all of humanity. That God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That God sends the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The sun came up this morning on those who are still in bed, and they don't even know it yet. They'll see it when they get up. But the reality is the sun is up. You know, God sends rain on the just and the unjust, on believers and unbelievers, that God has prepared a planet uniquely situated for his creation, for his people. We're able to breathe oxygen. And it's amazing to me. We live in a world that we can't wait to explore the universe and what we're missing in light of everything that we find as we go into space, that the planet Earth is uniquely equipped for us, God's creation. Man, just stop and think about it. There is nothing else in our 
our solar system that could sustain life as we know it, but planet Earth, because that was God's design. The heavens declare the handiwork of God. All of creation is screaming, I'm here. Pay attention. And I love you. And I sent my son to die for you. Spiritual love is demonstrated by what it does. If you look in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son. How do we know that God loves us? Because he sent his son to die for our sins. You know, it always is such a tragedy to hear people who are bitter towards God. You know, why did God let this happen in my life? Why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do this? You know, if God's a God of love, why doesn't he do this, 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 and this? And I say to you, you know what? God is a God of love and he gave his best. He sent his son to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins, for all who would believe that we would never have to experience the wrath or judgment of God, the condemnation for sin. You know what? Don't ever question God's love. Because he didn't hold anything back from any one of us. In fact, oftentimes in life, God withholds those other things from you so that they bring you to the cross. Why don't I get, a, why don't I get the promotion? Why didn't I get the job? Why didn't I get the raise? Why didn't this person say yes when I asked her or him to marry me? You know, why do I have this illness? Why do I have this going on in my family? Hey, you know what? If any one of those things brings you to the cross, then praise God because it was God's love that withheld from you what you thought you needed because you didn't know the greatest need you had is forgiveness for your sins. God is a God of love. Don't ever say that he's not because he demonstrated his love for us. And yet while we're sinners... He sent Christ to die on the cross. Delivered without any requirement whatsoever and demonstrated by what it does. Demonstrated by what it does. Jesus Christ was our great example. And in fact, in John 13, if you read it when you have an opportunity, you'll read that, you know what, that's the passage where Jesus knelt down and he washed the feet of his disciples. And he demonstrated his great love for them by his actions towards them. Even his enemies... Even Judas, who he knew would betray him, he gave him a place of honor at that last supper. One last chance to say, repent, don't do what you're going to do. I love you. And he knelt down and he washed his feet. See, that's why when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, he can say that because he died for his enemies. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, it says, We know love by this. We know it. We see it. We experience it by what? By this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, well, then how does the love of God abide in him? That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Little children, let us love not only with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We learn that spiritual love reaches out and meets the need of other believers. Continually observed as God brings them before our life, there's needs that are there. They shouldn't have to tell us this is my need. We should see it. We should be proactive. We should initiate it. We should see people and go, you know what? They've got a need. And you know why? Whatever it is that they're holding back from asking, we should go to them and say, can I help you in this situation? Because I know that if I was in that position, that I would need some help. And we're here to meet that need. We need to be a church of people who reaches out to one another and sees the need even before the person in need knows that they have a need. That's how proactive we should be. You and I didn't know we had a need of forgiveness until God reached out and said, hey, I did this for you because this is what you need to know about you that you don't need know, and that is that you need forgiveness. That you're born alienated from God. You're born on the road to hell, and if there's not divine intervention, that's where you'll end up. But you know what? But I knew that. 
and I sent my son to die for you. Number four, back to 1 John chapter 4, spiritual love is defined by its ability to give. We cannot give that which we have not received. We can't give spiritual love if we haven't received it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But for now, let's just go back to, and you know what? And the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. The world will know that we have something unique, something different, something attractive as they witness God's love in our lives towards others. You know what is the thing that I just, I just, man, it just, you talk about in Acts 2 where things were awe, it was just, everything was in awe. Look around at the diversity of this group and the fact that we can hug, kiss, slap one of those backs, hold each other, whatever. You know, before I came to know Christ, hugging a guy was a very strange phenomenon. (laughs) Now, now what was interesting about it is now I'm the same guy that played sports all my life. You know, hugging a guy was just so uncomfortable, but smacking a guy's backside, that was all right. So, you know, try to figure that out. You know, that doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. But you know what? I don't have a problem now, man, hugging a brother in Christ, saying, man, I love you. And I don't have a problem saying that. It's just, you know, it's such a, it's a freeing experience to be able to tell a guy, hey, you know what? I love you and I'm praying for you. How are you doing? How's things with your wife? How are things in your family? How are things in your business? What's going on in your life? You know, I, I just want to let you know I love you and I care for you. You know, I have a problem doing that. It's, it, man, it's... It, it's just, it's God's love poured out through us so that others sense that and know that. And I want to challenge you to consider, are there, are there racial or economic or cultural or gender prejudices that are holding you back from loving others as Jesus Christ loved them? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm going to challenge you to confess it because that's sin before God. That you and I would judge one another externally and not consider the character or the content of a person's heart. You know, that's what they did when they were trying to choose a successor. You know, and, and, and God said, I'm not like man. I don't judge people by the outward appearance, but I judge them by their heart. See, we judge one another outwardly. We think because someone's in church that they're all right with God. And God goes, hey, I know their heart. I know whether they're in Christ or whether they're in church. And if they're in Christ, they have hope. If they're in church, the only hope is that the guy who's preaching the word of God will confront them with the truth of God's message so they'll know the truth that'll set them free, that they need Jesus. See, that's the beauty of all of this. Number five, as we move forward, spiritual love is displayed by obedience to God. Obedience to God. In 1 John chapter 4, you know, in this love is not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It is a command. We saw it. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. It's not an option. It's a command. It always concerns me when I hear people talk about how much they love God and then they live their life any way they want. You know why that is? Because Jesus said that is a lie from the pit of hell and that's a contradiction of truth. And the truth is this. If you love me, Jesus said, what? You will obey my commandments. And if he commands us to love one another as he loved us, then we would be less than honest by saying we love God, but we just don't love the people around us. We need to love one another. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the the one who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. John 14, 21. 1 John 5, 3. This is, the love, this is love for God, to obey his commandments. And his commandments aren't burdensome. Why? Because he lives within us. It's not hard for God to live through us if we just get out of his way. Are there people in your life you frankly don't love? Then God says, repent. And ask God to love them through you as he loves them and get out of God's way. Get out of his way. And we'll learn, you know why that is? Because love doesn't take into an account a wrong that's been suffered. The reason I don't like certain people is because of what they've done to me or my family or somebody I'm close to. And God says, but God's love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Get over it. Move on. Press on. Forget it. Drive on. Fido principle. Don't get that anywhere for all you dog lovers out there. Fido principle. You know, fight on, you know, drive on, go ahead. And, and that's exactly what it is because that's what Paul says. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on to what lies ahead. In our brief passage, in this, in this particular passage, we learn that love is unconditional. That love is distributed by God. We can't love as God loves until we know God and we need to know him personally, experientially. We have to come to the cross and be born again. We love unconditionally with no response or no strings attached. We meet the needs as are revealed by God of those he brings into our life. And, and we're to be givers as opposed to takers. You know, God's love is giving. Giving on a regular basis. And the last thing is a spiritual love is defeated by sin. 1 John 3, 11 and 12. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Man, this is nothing new. The only thing new about the commandment that Jesus gave was, and I have a new commandment that I give you, that you love as I have loved you. The difference was is that we didn't know how he loved us till we saw him demonstrate his love for us. But God's commandment from the beginning of time is that we would love one another. It says, but not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Isn't it true that we can't stand people who are doing what's right while we're doing what's wrong? Can't stand them. And in fact, if anything, we try to encourage them to join us so we don't feel so bad about the fact they're doing what's right and we're doing what's wrong. You know, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, man. There was always a tendency in my life to make sure that people were doing the right thing to encourage them to come along with us to do the wrong thing because they really made us feel uncomfortable being around them. And you know what? It didn't take long for them to kind of go, yeah, you know what? We'll go this direction as well. See, that's why you and I as God's people need to take a stand wherever we are, whether it's in our businesses, our homes, our families, our communities, our schools, our teams, whatever it is that we take a stand that we're going to live a life that's pleasing to God and walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling because we're salt and we're light. We're not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We're to be different because Christ lives within us and we know the truth and the truth has set us free. Stop worrying about whether people like you or not and start being more concerned about whether the life that you're living is pleasing to the God who sent his son to the cross to free you from your sin. That's the challenge that we all need to be aware of, and it never goes away. 
Peer pressure never goes away, except in the case where I heard a guy being interviewed on like uh, Dateline or something. He was celebrating his 100th birthday, and I love this guy. And here's what he had to say. They said, what is the best thing about being 100 years old? And a guy thought for a second. He said, no peer pressure. <laughs> that great? I love that. No peer pressure. But you know what? Until then... Let's just live as if we have no peer pressure because we want to live in a life in a manner that's worthy of our God. First John 4, 8 says this. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. If you don't love as God says we should love, you better examine yourself to see whether you have truly been born again. Because the one who loves knows God, for God is love. God's love, spiritual love, is our greatest need. It is opposite of our natural human tendencies. And in order to experience this love, we must come to know God, to experience Him. We must be born again. Trusting and believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Then we must obey His word, and as we do... We will be moved with compassion to meet the needs of others. That's how God's love will be seen by others in our life. They will see it and they'll be so attractive. It'll be so attractive to them that they'll want to know our Savior. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be in your word again. We just pray that, uh, I pray specifically for those who are here that aren't even sure if they know you. If there's any doubt at all, the reality is is that they don't. That they will come today and, and accept the invitation that you give. That they will trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That he died on the cross, he rose again from the dead, and he is alive today. That they will come to the cross and ask for forgiveness. That they will receive him as Lord and Savior. Being born again from above by the will of God and by, not by the will of man. And God, for all of us who know you personally have trusted in Christ that we would allow you to love through us in a way that will be so attractive that they'll want to know our Savior. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.